Welcome back to The Craft, where we explore what we're learning about the creative process. I'm Colby, and I'm here with my friend Carter, and today we're going to talk about finding your craft. Finding your craft, the first question that came to my mind is, is it a discovery? Like, is it out there waiting to be found? Do you have a craft destiny? This, soulmate. These are the first, <laughs> that's right, your craft soulmate. These are the things that kind of immediately came to my mind. So knowingly circumventing the discussion about a destiny of the craft, uh, I thought the word recognizing was helpful. Okay. Like, how do you recognize that, hey, this is not just something that I do. This is not something I have to do. This is not something that it might be, you know, is a hobby. And we've kind of talked about that dichotomy before between a hobby and a craft. But how do I know that, okay, this is something different. This is a craft. And so we were kind of talking at the beginning of this episode, our podcast is called The Craft. We should probably have a good definition of Mm. what a craft is. So I kind of developed, I think, four criteria that let's say are not complete, uh, but these are kind of like the baseline things that I think have to be there for something to be a craft. Okay. So, Cole, maybe I'll with pitch it. them to you. Let's do it. Yeah. This is a bit of a workshop too, because I haven't, I, I've heard, I've heard them quickly, but I need to get them a little more deeply ingrained and think through them. Yes, exactly. So this is the working list, uh, and so maybe we'll just go one by one and ask questions of them. Let's interrogate them a little bit. Okay. Uh, and see see what happens. So the first one that I identified or that I'm, I don't know, postulating is that there has to be a tradition in which you're entering. And so the example that I had for this was if you just go outside and you smash cantaloupes with a baseball bat, like there's no tradition of that. It's just something that's happening. Uh, it might be fun, uh, but there, there's no tradition there. Now, if you were to do that in order to um, perform an abstract street art, right, all of a sudden what you're doing is in a tradition of street performance, of street art, right? And so that's that's something totally different. And so this kind of baseline thing of tradition, there has to be something you're going into. Even if you're going to innovate and disrupt uh there has to be other people doing something within the realm of this tradition. And so less kind of abstractly, right? If you paint, there are other painters. There's a tradition of yeah. painting. If you do graphic design, there's a tradition of graphic design. If you do music production, leatherworking, writing, you name it, right? There's some tradition that's identifiable that you're entering into. All right, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I agree. I think the place where maybe there's some differences that could have or some nuances maybe where uh, someone is, you know, trying to maybe combine multiple disciplines to do something different or they're like you mentioned before, when we were talking before recording uh, someone's trying to disrupt, but even if they're trying to disrupt, it's like, or create a new category, it's often kind of like creating a category against another existing category. So there's still tradition that's being worked against almost. And so, I think that tradition in the sense of like there's a history or there's some, you know, you're never, um, you shot me a text the other day with a quote of like, we're, you know, we always are standing on the shoulders of someone else essentially. Like, and I think that's true in art that there's always something that we're drawing from and that creates a richness to, um, to 
that craft that you're pursuing because you get to contribute to that history yourself. No, that's that's good. And, and I like I think we mentioned synthesis last episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that's right. Like there could be a synthesis of different traditions or categories that yeah. are creating something totally new. So that's good. It may be a new tradition, but like you said, it's still happening within the backdrop of existing traditions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice. That one's kind of broad, right? Tradition loosely interpreted. The second one, there has to be a set of skills that are required to do the craft. And so my example here was eating donuts is not a craft. There's no skill required. Washing dishes is not a craft. Okay, there's not really a precise set of skills that are required to do this task. The contrast to this, making a donut, baking a donut, that's a craft, right? There's skills required to um, produce and bake a delicious pastry, uh, but eating the pastry is not as craft. And so what I'm trying to say here is that there's got to be some sort of set of skills that you have to um, practice or learn or develop in order to be able to do it. Surfing, a craft, right? There's a set of skills that you need to do it. Floating on your back in the water, not a craft. Okay. <laughs> you're looking, you're, you're really like contemplating. I'm like it. trying to think of the people who might push back on this a bit. It's like, I know some people who probably do think there's a craft to how you put things in the dishwasher. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's a right and a wrong. Yes. But, but I hear, I mean, and I'm like, I wonder what of like the, the sommelier, you know, literally yeah. drinking wine. Like that is the craft, but like maybe there's no donut sommelier, you know, if, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, there should be though. Yeah, there should be. But like there's, there's maybe some super specific crafts that are like, yeah, just maybe think like of this, this rap line in a song from Andy Minio. He's like, all, I think he says all critics are artists who never made it. <laughs> and it's uh, yeah. like, it's a pretty heated yeah you know, comment, but it's like, I'm sure there's thoughtful critics who maybe are, do have like a craft that they've pursued, but it's like, so to go to the sommelier too, that would still require a set of skills, right? They have to be able to distinguish right tannins, viscosity, you know, the vintage of the grape, all these sort of things. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that's definitely a craft. Okay. And so, but, but it's about having a skill. Like that's why you exactly. Yeah. But like just drinking the wine or just eating the donut itself is yeah, not an yeah, act yeah. an act of 100%. craft <laughs> yes you will definitely i can i can get behind that <laughs> okay so maybe maybe some wiggle room here too uh the third one i have so we've got there's got to be a tradition some sort of set of skills this one is interesting i'll see what you think about this i think there have to be certain qualities that are pursued and cultivated within the craft and so let me give two examples This time, I'll start with what I think are the positive examples of this and then give the one that's not. So in the craft of music, right, you are pursuing, right, an engagement with meaningful emotion. You're pursuing things like melody, the orchestration of multiple different sounds, uh, resonance. You're pursuing a connection with the audience. You're pursuing right an experience. There are all sorts. I mean, you could go like, what are the things that, another way to think of this, what are the things that beautiful music or meaningful music accomplish? So what are the goals? There's clear goals right within music about what you want to do if you get down to it. Similar with woodworking. 
Um, there's purposeful design. There's well-constructed joints. There's meaningful use of resources. There's function. There's appropriate finishes on the wood. All of these things are like qualities within the craft that you're trying to um, pursue. Right? There's, there's clear outcomes of, okay, we can distinguish and evaluate um, this table is well-made because of what? And there, there are qualities there. Uh, and so the contrast to this would be like vacuuming a house or replacing a light bulb. <laughs> These are the ones that I came with that are like clearly just outcome-based. Like the light bulb's either replaced or it's not. There's really no quality of like how you put the light bulb in or like you're just trying to finish a task and there's like a clear outcome at the end. Like it started needing to be replaced. It got replaced. The dishes were dirty. Now they're clean. Mm -hmm. Like there's no quality or there's no kind of um, criteria of evaluation that are, that's happening there. Okay. This, that totally. one's the most abstract. What do you think about that? So can you repeat, sorry to do this, can you repeat the actual phrase, like the first, just the pitch? Yeah, so a craft, um, there are qualities that are pursued and cultivated in performing the craft. Yeah, yeah. like measurable so, qualities, maybe. Maybe not yeah. measure. well, maybe, yeah, I wonder if measurable is, would you agree, in most cases, are these qualities measurable? Or is it kind of subjective? Ooh, I think maybe evaluative qualities. I think that's kind of what I wanted to say. Okay. Like there are, there's, there's a, a craft can be evaluated. Maybe that's even a better way to say this. Hmm. Like you can evaluate good woodworking from shoddy woodworking. Like there are qualities that we use within the craft to evaluate. I think that's much closer to what I was actually <laughs> trying to get at. Sure. No, I agree with that. I think it's, I mean, in, in a way it's a little muddy because there isn't a sense of outcome to that if you can evaluate it, but like I think there's uh there's probably different views on this too in terms of the subjectivity of art, you know, is sure, you know, how do you measure the beauty of something? You get into more postmodern contemporary art, you have different um values at play and like sure, you know, different views on how you look at like people have different opinions on contemporary art. Some people love it, some people hate it. Sure. And so this know. principle would try to say that the fact that people are arguing about the value is evidence that it's a craft. It's something in yeah. which evaluative claims can be made. Yeah. So I mean, something even, even the postmodern, even the, the um, art where someone might not try to put any meaning into something, but they would want the person viewing it to sort of do that or take their own interpretation. I think that even would be a place where, yeah, it's like it's evaluated by the individual. Someone evaluates. There's some evaluation and yes. quality to it. And there's disagreement. Like disagreement would be showing that it's a place where evaluation on qualities yeah. occur. Like no, totally. no one, no one stands at the replaced light bulb and says, "Like, is it really replaced?" Like, yeah, like, no, it's you not just a question. Know. It's yes or no. It's yeah, it's yes binary. or no. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I like that. I think, I think I agree. Yeah. Okay. So that one, that one, I need to let's, I need to revisit that and get the words nailed out something like uh something like there's it's a place of evaluative judgment mm -hmm. some sort of evaluations going on um that's complex and not just yes or no okay the fourth one and this one i think is important there has to be the intention to develop or master or deepen an experience with um to kind of set roots achieve i almost wanted to say professional 
Um, and so let me give the example and then we'll kind of work through that again. So for me, playing the guitar is a hobby. However, for other people, that's their craft. So like Tommy Emmanuel, the guitar is his craft, right? He has spent his life kind of devoted to mastering, developing, exploring, innovating the guitar. For me, I've got a different relationship. I enjoy playing. I enjoy mm-hmm. learning. Uh, but there's not that intention on my part to like master or develop like this deep skill here. Um, or be quote unquote professional. Um, and so that kind of brings up the issue of, you know, do you have to get paid, that sort of thing? But what do you think about that? I think I agree that a craft is something that you that you can, you know, we're, what we're trying to do here is define our views on the craft, I guess, really for the sake of the podcast in a way. And so it's like, I think a craft is something that you want to pursue in a way that you're going to get better and you can measurably see like, this is where I started. And now a year later, this is where I'm at and I've made these improvements. I've grown and maybe, but I think it does bring up a good question, which is, are you still pursuing a craft? If you don't try to do it professionally when you're playing the guitar, I guess you're saying guitar is not a craft for you or would you say it is? So for me, I would call it a hobby. Okay. Which kind of gets us back to that original discussion where I enjoy learning, I enjoy becoming a better guitarist, but it doesn't have that intentionality of I want to improve in this, I want to learn this, you know, I want to like sacrifice time to become better at this. Like mm-hmm. there's that like element of with our craft, like there's like a buy-in. And I don't have that with guitar. It's like, okay, I'm like I'm fine where I am. If I get a little bit better, that's great. But I'm not like sitting down two hours a day and practicing my scales and learning complex, you know, mm. songs and that sort of thing. Like the intentionality is not there. So a craft is something you you choose it, because, like, you know. So let's let's say photography is a craft, right? Good. Like, it's something that requires skill that can be measured, evaluated. It's something that you know is a tradition, and it is something that. What, what am I missing? That last, that intentionality is the only last one. Well, th- you had, you, but here's the thing. Them. It has those yeah. three things. Yes. The fourth one though is my choice. That's what's interesting here. Like Ooh. if I just pick up a camera and I'm like, I got my iPhone and I take a photo of, you know, some cool spots. Sure. Is that a craft? Because it's your, your definition, you're saying it's only a craft if I choose to pursue it and get better at it. But in a way yeah. it's like, on the one hand, that exists as a craft, yes. But if I'm going to step into the craft's tradition, then I'm, I have to choose. I want to yes. get better at this. Do you know what yes. I mean? It's almost like choosing that I want to be, because there's certain things that I do, and I'm like, there's no craftsmanship here, and someone will come along and tell me that I'm doing it wrong, and I won't be offended because I'm not sure. trying. Like yes. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, yeah, you, I don't know. You just you hit know, the you know nail on the head with that. I think that's. I think that was kind of my idea of like, okay, if you have those first three. Right. Yeah. Like you said, tradition, set of skills, evaluation. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't have that intentionality with it, I, I think just that's just a huge difference to me because I think there's plenty of things. And I think guitars is such a good example for me where it's just it's a hobby that I really enjoy. Yeah. It's something that I do and there can be growth and there can be learning new songs and all this sort of thing. But there's just not that. Or like photography, like you said, unless there's that kind of intentionality, 
I feel like that's so closely tied to the ethos of what we think the craft is. Mm-hmm. It's something that you think about, that you reflect on, that you're trying to intentionally grow and develop and deepen uh, mm-hmm. and set roots into it. Like there, there's this kind of activity in it. You know, it's almost identity. Like, you know, I think it's a bad thing, honestly, but it's like Ooh, this you start to put, you don't, you don't like think of like writing, you are a writer, you know, it's like, this is who I am. Dude. And so there's that piece of like, stepping in and saying okay i'm a music producer okay i'm a marketer like you're not just saying i do marketing or i do cleaning you know it's like no i am a marketer like i'm choosing that craft i'm identifying with it and so i think i don't think that's inherently bad i'm just saying i think i know for me that that putting my identity into those things is is not ultimately what will fulfill me and it sure it leads to issues um a lot of issues but it's also like that's a part of it is I'm there's a recognition taking an identity in yeah it, so yeah there's a recognition that that's something that you do intentionally I think like going yeah. back to that idea of like recognizing your craft uh-huh. I think you're totally right there's like a recognition of okay I'm a writer or I'm a music producer that's something I don't know there is yeah. something perhaps fundamental if we had an, a fifth criteria here a recognition of yourself as one who who does the craft. <laughs> yeah. And I think, but it also fits in with what you said, entering a tradition and pursuing a set of skills and uh, wanting to be evaluated. So you're getting better. And then also wanting to develop like those four things really are sort of the identity in a way of someone sure. who chooses oh. a craft. You know, I think that's almost the makeup of a craft is, you know, I don't think I would want to define, I, it's almost like, the craft is that which you pursue. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like whatever yeah. you're chasing in and developing is, is the craft. <laughs> and I was trying to boil it. I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying. I was trying to boil it down here, um, boil it down, <laughs> down to like, if, what are the basic requirements that have to be there for something to be a craft? Because mm-hmm. I think under the current definition with these four that's a huge net i mean it's really really big i mean you can get a tradition of people with skills that you need to do with a place of evaluation and intention i mean you could get that all over the place like it was it was more difficult Mm -hmm. for me to think of things that were not crafts yeah than think of things that could be crafts so i definitely think it's a big it's a big field and i think that is pretty resonant with what we think about the craft too yeah. And I think that's, it's fitting. Our, I think our goal for this podcast is to talk about our specific crafts. So that'd be writing for you and um, I guess multiple forms of writing for you. And then for me, music production and mainly, and then marketing and um, still figuring it out too for both of us. And so it's like. And that's uh, actually, I think that's a great segue to Within this definition, too, can you have multiple crafts? This was something we briefly mentioned before the show, but uh, do you want to take take a stab yeah. at that? How does that work? <laughs> well, yeah, no, and it's a great question because I, I think that we want this podcast to not just be about our individual. We want to speak from our crafts, but in a way that applies to maybe every craft or these crafts that, I mean, accounting could be a craft. Absolutely. You know, because it's the way that we're defining it and looking at it, it's something you're developing in and those, those four criteria. So yeah, I think, 
can you have multiple crafts? I think because this is the way we're looking at it is a bit of a wider net. Um, I think the answer is yes. Like the way that I'm thinking about it when I was prepping for this today, I was thinking through Leonardo da Vinci, started reading a biography about him from Walter Isaacson. He was like the original Renaissance man. Like he proved that you can be multidisciplinary and he was very curious. That's what Walter Isaacson really pulls the thread on in this book is just curiosity. Because you look at someone, I heard him talk in a podcast, maybe I've mentioned this before, but it's like Einstein was a genius. He's way, way smarter than I'll ever be. But um, Da Vinci was, I mean, he was a total, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, he's off the charts in creativity and curiosity and um, excellence. So like, I'm not trying to say like, oh, I could just be Da Vinci, but like, he was curious and that curiosity is something that we can actually pursue rather than I can't pursue a different mind. Like I have the mind sure. I've got, sure. but I can, I can try to get smarter, but I just am not going to have the thing that Einstein was born with. Sure. But, um, with Da Vinci, he's got this curiosity and he pursued so many different things. And that's sort of where a lot of his creativity mm. came out of was that he like, studied anatomy very deeply at one point, which informed his painting. And then his painting, you know, he was good at drawing and he also had this engineer's mind. And so he was like doing set design for stages. He like designed some flying contraptions. And there's kind of question of whether some of the flying contraptions were like actual attempts at flying or just stage props. And then he also like, then that circled back into his art because he was using very technical he he really pushed into the space of um how do you draw three-dimensional space on a flat canvas that was one of his big contributions for my understanding sure. and so yeah there's a lot of engineering into that how mm. do you draw lines and kind of that i'm picturing like a tron grid right now because i don't yes. know the technical terms and stuff but like i know how do you use orthogonal lines yeah yeah and so there was like that connection there between engineering and math very cool and technical things and the humanities and the art and the creativity and the um, painting. And he's pursuing all these different things in this haphazard way. Um, I don't know how that applies to the modern person, you know, and sure. But I think just that curiosity maybe and that desire to learn different things that maybe are disconnected at first can actually yield interesting connections later. That's cool. And I think with multiple crafts, like that's the, what, the archetype multiple craft guy, (laughs) uh, Leonardo. And so um, with thinking through that, it's like we we do probably have a multitude of different crafts that we do. Like even if you broke down, let's say writing, you can break that into micro, micro crafts, right? Poetry Mm. writing, prose writing, academic writing, creative writing. Like there's all sorts of like micro te- like crafts that you do, um, so yeah. I mean, I I think that I agree that there can be multiple crafts. However, here's here's going to be my hot take. Yeah, I think there's a bandwidth, like at least for yeah. me in my experience of how many crafts that I can handle, because I think there would be a way in which you could get shallow really quickly. And then there is maybe you've got 10 different crafts on on the stovetop, but they're all at a super low temperature. 
Like you just like spread out. And so, yeah, you've got crafts, but they're like, you're not very good at any of them. Uh, and so I think that there is kind of a bandwidth and maybe it's just like genius that can handle like someone like Leonardo that can handle multiple crafts in extraordinary ways. But for me, I think like two to three crafts, broadly speaking, is plenty for one man's life. <laughs> you know, that brings up a good point. Cause the other thing I was thinking was like, you can only do so much professionally. And so like, I do feel like a lot of times a craft is something you, you, we don't necessarily have to define it as like you have to make money from it, but I think it normally does hopefully yield that. I mean, you're pursuing something, you're getting really good at it and you're spending your time on it. And so you need to be compensated to provide and to have, you know, resources. And so even to pay for the art and the work that you're doing itself. So it's like, you can't, it's a very real question in my life. Like, am I pursuing like how much time do I have on the side of my main work in marketing to do music? And like, am I watering myself down by also, you know, by pursuing both of these things at the same time, how much time do I invest in it? And cause if I'm really, it seems like the, the real value you can extract and get from your craft and like comes when you're really excellent at it. Um, when you've put in the, um, 10,000 hours, whether that is the actual metric or not, but sure. Um, when you put in the time, but you, yeah. And so like for me right now, there's even like considering product management a little bit as a new potential, like thing I'm interested in exploring. Cause that really is yeah. interesting to me. And I'm doing a little bit of that in my job. And so it's like, okay, marketing, product management, music production on the side, what things should I pursue? What things should I lean into? Cause I don't want to wake up later and just be like, well, music's gone. I guess I never spent time on that. But at the same time, I don't want to just kind of wake up sort of like a generalist who has a couple light understandings and no real like deep skills that I can, because I think it yields leverage to to really have a a craft that you're excellent at. Dude, this is really good. And know what it it brings to mind to me, uh, like how we have to be really mindful of the metaphors that we use in talking about this, because I think, I think quickly I go into okay, I've got a hundred creativity beans or, or whatever, <laughs> and I can go to the office. Like I can give eight beans over here, I can give thirty-five beans over here. Like and then and then I'm out, right? I can like quantify what's going on. Now, to a degree, maybe that's how it works, or like a pie chart. Like I have to have percent yeah. uh, percentages, and so I actually heard the other day, um, I think it was yesterday, uh, Douglas Wilson, who's a theologian, was talking about how, like in the Christian tradition, um, it's not a pie chart of here's twenty percent for Jesus, fifteen percent for my wife, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and you start breaking. He's like, no, there's it's like a layer cake. Like the foundation is Jesus, and then you're building on top of things. And so, like for me. And this was, he was appealing to C.S. Lewis's work on the four loves as well, hmm. of how these things are interconnected in a way that they're not vying for a zero-sum game. And so if we apply this to the craft, I think it's kind of yeah. interesting. It's not like, okay, I have to break, here's my 20% for marketing, here's my 18% for music production. Like, what am I going to do with this 5%? Like, and they detract from each other and it put into one, takes away from the other. I think maybe there's a way to think about it more like that layer cake. 
of like, here's like foundational crafts and then they're interconnected with other crafts in a way that's not this like zero sum game. And I love how you talked about Leonardo's, like his mathematics interacting with his art. Like they were together. They weren't right. like pulling away from each other. They were like a layer cake of some sort, right? They they were building on on each other. I don't know. Mm. What do you think about that? No, I love that. I think that's a great example. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, it's really uh, seeing the. It's just. I think there's a practical like. It's like we normally look at this as a time management issue alone. And time management is a pie chart because you only have 24 hours in a day. Mm. So it's like, okay, eight hours on marketing, two hours on music, this hours with family, and everything does detract from each other. Sure, But that's just time management. That's not seeing the values that are connected. The time with those people oh. is what comes into your music and comes into your marketing, comes in to um, influence the way you think and change the opportunities that you get as a result. So like everything is interconnected and that, so I think that's helpful to just like zoom out and see, okay, maybe you don't work on, like I haven't worked on music very much for three, six months. That's okay. I'm not just wasting away. And that's not like, oh, I'm no longer a musician. It's over. Like I'm learning new things that maybe will come back around later. Um, So, I mean, that just encourages me that like, exploring and trying different things is an opportunity to find interesting connections. It's not necessarily like the end of my craft or my, you know, it's okay to, to move between things, I guess. Dude, man, this is like, we're in the deep end here though. I I love it though. But the idea of like time being something that makes us typically think about quantifying it down to hours and minutes, but that, but you're saying, right, that's not seeing the values that are also involved in the interconnection that's happening where you're over here doing something and it's feeding into something else and you don't see it mm-hmm. because in your mind, we've got this nice clean spread, you know, Excel spreadsheet where we've got all our time allotted and we've got these nice little boxes that we do things in. It's like, it's just not how we work. It's not how human beings work. Like we are living fundamentally doing different things, but they're all unified in our like coherent conscious experience and kind of movement through life yeah everything every experience you have changes who you are a little bit i guess and influences you and that doesn't always mean for the better but it it is i feel like with the especially in the arts and so much of the crafts that we're talking about are art like creative crafts yes you know so i think that is worth i mean this is a podcast about creative crafts i would say like Mm -hmm. it can hopefully apply to some others but i think we're talking about creative things photography music you know artistic type things but so every experience we go through does i think inform the type of creative things that we will create you know and so i think because that's why i brought that up because since we're making things that are often inherently personal, whenever we're being creative, if we're making music or taking photog- taking photos or designing things, maybe they're not always personal. They could be about other people. They could be made up stories, sure. but all of our experiences, and I think influence the way we look at the world, influence the way we think, influence who we are, and, and that influences the art we create. And so whenever you think about it that way, I mean, I guess in, in practically in my case, it's like, okay, maybe maybe marketing product, you know, just learning these different skills is going to, something's going to happen. I'll learn. I don't know yet how this product management 
stuff is going to influence music making, but maybe there are some interesting connections there. Sure. And I don't know how this podcast will influence my marketing, but maybe there's some interesting connections there and just not, not needing everything to be this, you know, you put in this many hours, you get this much output, but it's just, you know, that's a hundred percent. I mean, we, we can't pretend that they would be separate. Like it's more unreasonable to pretend that your marketing won't impact your music than to think that, Hey, there's ways that this is impacting it, which is neat. Totally. No, that's great. Great. So the question here going from our, and this may be a pursuit for our entire podcast, really trying to define with clarity what a craft is. Sure. We haven't solved it. It's probably going to be an ongoing thing. Um, But moving to that question of recognizing, Colby, you have in your notes a Venn diagram that I think is really helpful. Could you kind of talk a little bit about that, kind of throw the idea out there? Because I think this could be a really good heuristic tool for you, the listener, thinking about your craft. Yeah. So how do you find your craft? So I think, you know, before I go into this, I would say my preface is that's literally why this episode's interesting to me is because I'm trying to figure that out. And what I just mentioned, the whole marketing, product management, music, production, it's like I have these different passions I'm into, but, um, and I've invested quite a bit in marketing and music production for years, but it's like, which one am I pursuing? What, you know, that, that question, how do I find out? So this is a in work in progress thing for me personally that I'm working through. But yeah, this framework is, I've heard it in multiple places, so I'm not going to attribute it to anyone specifically. I've heard it from a friend. I think I've heard it in some talks maybe, but it's this idea of a Venn diagram. So picture a couple, uh, just, uh, let's see, I guess four circles on in front of you. And one of them is what you can do well and maybe what others say that you can do well as well, some kind of affirmation from others, what the world needs what you love, where you feel kind of a call, a pull, an interest, and what makes money. And, you know, maybe that last one is a bit of a question mark if you're sure, kind sure. of debatable maybe, but because this is kind of more of like a job professional, like what do you want to sure. do with your life kind of question. But you take these and in the middle of that, those four, you know, overlapping circles is kind of the sweet spot of things that you do well you, you love the world needs and you can make money with them. Um, and, and you, something you love as well. Um, yeah. So I think that, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? Have you heard that before? I think I've encountered it a little bit. Um, specifically, like you mentioned, looking for vocation. It's interesting kind of the questions that I was, um, thinking about are very similar to this. Like, what are the things that you enjoy doing? And then the way that I kind of phrased it, what are the things you enjoy practicing? I think that's an interesting way to think about it because what do you enjoy practicing? It's not the outcome necessarily. You enjoy the process. I think that can be really indicative about what things that you can cultivate with that intentionality and that dedication to that we mentioned. Uh, The things that you enjoy the process of doing. Because so much of the craft, right, we always talk about is the process. It's not just the outcome that we're running after. It's like it's attention to the process. It's uh, embracing that process. And so what are the things you enjoy practicing? And then also, very similar to the what do you love doing, if you had four months vacation, like what would you fill the time with? 
Like, where would you wander? Where would that curiosity take you to go back to what you were mentioning there? Mm. How would you want to occupy the time? Would you want to learn something new? Or is there something that you're, I don't know. I think that's just an interesting question. I don't have a whole lot to add because I think the Venn diagram is so useful. Yeah. So I think that's a good tool to try out. And for me, it's kind of tricky because I mean, here's the, here's the problem with it. It's like, I have three things that I, well, it's like, putting my stuff through there real quick. Marketing checks all four of those boxes, I think. Um, music production, it's like, I think it checks most of those. The money one is, it doesn't necessarily check because I don't sure. know how easy it is to, re- it's hard to make money in the music business in general. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I haven't really personally broken out of just working with like a small group of people, personal relationships, more, sure. you know, small network. And so, I don't know about that box. And also, how good am I at it? I think that there's some validation from others. There's people that want to work with me, but it's like, um, I haven't seen the validation to the point where I'm like, okay, like this has to be the thing that I do. And so that's kind of a challenge for me is like hearing people say like, well, you're kind of good at that, but it's like, that's the difficulty with artistic crafts too. Things that people are saying, yeah, you're pretty good at that. It's kind of like, okay, what? am I actually good at though? Like, is this just a general thing or, um, and then product management, that's just something that's very new to me over the past Mm -hmm. few months. But, um, in some ways I've been doing it longer without knowing about what that craft Mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's like, so it's not necessarily something I know that I can do well. I think there's been several people that have said that I could be good at that if I learned it. Um, it's definitely something the world needs. It's something that is interesting to me. So like the challenge is like having multiple things that kind of check some of these boxes. It's like, okay, well, what, what do you pursue? Because I think just, I wanted to bring up this idea, unless you have another thought on, do you follow your passion? It's like a big career life planning kind of question. Like do what you love, do what you're passionate about, um, pursue your passion. And I've listened to this Cal Newport podcast, Deep Questions, a lot. Highly recommend it. It's a fun show um, recently. And so one episode, he talked about his book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. He wrote it back in like 2012. And the whole concept of the book is like, don't follow your passion. Why? Because following your passion like, is basically this assumption that at 18 years old, you're supposed to know what you love. But you're kind of signing up for what, is a long career, multiple decade career. You haven't even lived that many decades and yet you're already trying to commit to something. And so many people commit too soon to something thinking they love it, but not really knowing what it really looks like professionally to do that thing. Often it's not fun. And um, it's this idea that if you pursue a craft, maybe it's not truly your passion. Like maybe I don't pursue music, for example, but I pursue marketing. It's something I love still, but it's not, maybe it wasn't my original passion, quote unquote. Um, But I could yield over time. If I get really good at that craft, I can yield career capital. And that's the thing that that's basically leverage because your skills are highly needed and desired. And that capital yields opportunity for negotiation, opportunity to get more um, freedom, more autonomy, more, income, more opportunities on projects that are actually meaningful and very aligned with your values and the kind of change you want to see in the world. Like that is where you find, that's where you find your passion because you're actually living into a life that's overall more interesting and deep and meaningful. And so he kind of really pushes back and he's like, don't follow your passion, 
follow things that you can then become passionate about by getting really good at them and growing. And it's kind of like, a, uh, you don't necessarily have to throw out one of these ideas and in, in order to accept the other, I don't think, but you know, I thought that was an interesting thing to bring up here because it's like a craft is often something you want to pursue. Like you're listening cool. to this podcast because you want to get better at something type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Like, what do you think oh, about that in, okay. in line with the framework as well? Dude, there's so much good stuff here. First of all, I think I would be content to make the make money circle completely optional, right? So yeah, going back to like sure. our pod, I don't know what episode it was. Can I be an artist and have a day job, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we were pretty pretty firm on, okay, your your art does not have to have this kind of production element. Yes. It can. Um so that was one, I think, amendum. That's not the right word. Uh, Amendment, yeah. Um, yeah, that I'll, I'll kind of suggest for the diagram. Uh, the thing, I really am intrigued by this idea of not following your passion because I think it's so true. Like going back to like our teenage years, how the heck am I supposed to know what I want to do with the next 30 years. It's like, what do you know at 16 and 17? Like, you know, almost nothing about the world. And so I think there's real value in getting out there, being curious, trying things and trying to find that, okay, what can I do well? And letting that kind of be the entryway into these other things. So part of me is like, that's really appealing. And I think there's a lot of truth. Like try stuff, try to work at it, pick one, you know, you know, pick something and move around to different things. A lot of different thoughts here. Um, yeah. At the same time, looking for that vision that grips you, right? Looking for that vision, that adventure to go in a very Joseph Campbell way, like the adventure of life that calls you out into somewhere unknown with Mm -hmm. the ideal of what you would hope to gain in front of you, right? There's, There's something, I feel like there's something really powerful, and maybe passion is the wrong word here. Maybe it's a vision, right? There's something that grips you that maybe you have to look around for for a couple of years. But then like for me, like there's that, we've talked about, right, that vision of, of, of what it looks like to be the person uh, that I admire as a scholar, as a writer, as a husband, as a neighbor, right? There's that mm. kind of vision that grips us. And so I think that's important in finding your craft. And so, uh, yes, what are okay. you good at? But also, what is that thing that grips you? And maybe it's hard to find. Like, I don't, like, I just kind of wandered in t- speaking there. But no, I No, that's think, beautiful. I don't know. I do think there's maybe a difference between a passion because what passions do you have at 17? I mean, yeah. And I mean, well, we don't want to crap on the 16 to 18 year olds because it's like, but, but speaking from the experiences that we've been through at that age. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I didn't know. And I didn't, what passions did I have? I definitely was passionate about music, but also like, sure. It's, it's one of those things. It's like, I totally am passionate about music, but it's also intertwined with wanting people to like me. That's something I think about, like how, Mm. how finding something and then finding how you can use it to like, for different motives, like, oh, maybe it's about making money or maybe it's about what people think about you or maybe it's about, can also muddy the waters here because it's like, oh man, was I doing that because I'm 
re- I think there's always been something about music since I was like 12. Yeah. That's just like yeah. pulled me and given me this vision of like yeah. the virtuos, virtuosic, virtuoso instrumentalist, like playing the guitar on stage. Like there's certain things about it that are inspiring, yes. but there's also an, a side of it where it's like, how much of that is also me leaning into just like, oh, people like when I do this, sure. I'm going to do that. Um, and I think this is yeah. a good point too of like, both of us, I feel like at a pretty young age, you with music and I mean, me with writing late yeah. high school, we had that kind of vision, but I think it's matured, right? It's developed, yeah. it's evolved. And so maybe that's kind of what it is. It's a vision that can strike you, but something that you can't, it has to take time to get context and development and maturity. Um, I don't know. There's someone described Jack London as gobbling up life. And I feel like that's a pretty good strategy for your, uh, for your teens into your twenties, even now, right? Like gobble it up, like be taking things in and observing and learning and and altering this vision and, and all those sort of things. Well, this is a great turn into some more practical application. If I could share some thoughts, I'm reading through a book right now. Um, called Designing Your Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. Um, They're two professors at the Stanford D School, Design School. Um, And so the whole concept of the book is applying design thinking, design thinking principles into how you plan your life. And the big idea of the book, I think, is that most people kind of look at life and they say, well, I'm in a job I hate or I'm in a place I don't like. I need to just find the one plan that's going to fix it all. And if that worked, I'd be happy. I'd be content. I'd be satisfied. I'd be good. And they're like, that's not really how it works. You have so many lives living in you. You could do 10 different crafts and you can make a great career out of it. You could get married. You could not get married. You could move to another state. You could not move to another state. There's so many paths of life that you could do. You shouldn't narrow it down to just this one thing. And like all the chips are riding on this one thing, nice. you know? So that's a big idea of the book and a lot of different like practical tips in there about how like different design thinking practices that any designers listening to the show will know a lot more about than me. But um, a couple things that kind of came to mind that or a couple things I jotted down that have been really practical that I'm thinking through for myself right now, even asking these questions about marketing and, you know, what am I pursuing in long term plans and vision? I think. Uh, a couple quick kind of like application ideas. And I don't know, I've got like four, one, two, three, four. I've got five, no, four. I've got four practical things. So it's probably way too much. Um, why don't you give us, why don't you just hit a, hit us with it? So I'm just going to hit you with them. Okay, so the first one is um, this idea of writing a life view and work view. Well, I guess the first one I would say is read the book because it's a great book. Like that could honestly be the application. But I'll give you these four takeaways instead if you don't want to read the book. So life view and work view. A life view is kind of worldview is another term you've probably heard um, that's pretty much the same thing. I mean, it's just a view of what you believe, what values you have, what matters to you, and the values that really drive how you live. And you should write maybe 250 words, like a page or two pages, you know, of just what it's you much think too about small life. for a worldview, <laughs> so I couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, it totally. It's just uh, supposed just to be kind of I, con- concise, big picture where you're at right now in life. These things will change sure. over time, but that was um, a, sarco- a sarcastic <laughs> comment from me. Of course, of course. Um, and then work view 
is the same thing ultimately for your work life. So what in work matters to you? What, um, what does money have to do with it? What is a meaningful job? Um, what, how does work relate to like other people and change in the world and how do, you know, what ethical things do you think should come into the work conversation? It's your view of work and writing those two documents then becomes kind of the, what they use throughout the rest of this book is like your compass is what they call it. Your life compass. Mm-hmm. This is what guides where you go and how you mm-hmm. live. And it's something you can kind of come back to and think about, okay, is this in line with my life view? Is this in line with my work view? How am I living out what I believe? You know, sure. um, the next thing is to write an odyssey plan or plans. So odyssey plans, you know, taken from Odysseus and the, kind of epic storyline um, and the adventure of life is this idea that you draw um, like a five-year plan, um, multiple five-year plans of your life. So you can go just Google Odyssey plans, designing your life. You'll see a template that they have on their website, I'm sure. But essentially it's just like on a piece of paper, like draw like a, a box for each of the five years coming up and just sketch out where you hope to be and they recommend mm. three different plans for your life because the whole idea here is you you could do more than one thing like that's scary dude i'm just thinking <laughs> about how scary this would be like to sit down like i don't know i know yeah so so check it out you do uh the first plan is the thing that you already do you know kind of like the plan you're on but just like hash it out for five years and include some professional goals include some personal things include um like different areas and values of your life, maybe some health goals, maybe um, spiritual or faith elements, like whatever the things are in the next five years that you're kind of pursuing. And then um, second plan would be the thing that you do if the first one fell through. So mm. not, not like a plan B necessarily, but like mm-hmm. how would you pivot? It's like, okay, I can't be a professor. Sure. What's my pivot here? And um, the third one is the thing that you do if money was no option and no one thought, anything was funny about it. So like you didn't have to deal with anyone's opinions. They, they thought it was cool. Dude, that is the existential one of like <laughs> the, like, I don't know, like the, the choice of like writing that down and saying, I could do that. Yeah. Like that's, that's a weird feeling for me of like, okay, like if I wrote that down, like something like moving out West and like writing and doing like total different change and then yeah. realizing that like, that's a possibility. Like, like, mm-hmm. what are the things, what are the conventions that keep me from that? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a really interesting, I think, very existential thought of, like, that's the the terror of free choice of, like, you could actually do that. I don't totally. know. Yeah. I, don't know. I don't know why that's hitting me right now. No, it's awesome. I mean, I would love for you to, it would be cool if we both did it and then, like, showed each other kind of yeah. what we're thinking. Because And those are just ideas to, like, spark your thoughts. You don't have sure, to do those sure. three things. But the idea is do at least three plans because... We just assume like, okay, here's my kind of plan. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get that job and I'm going to go there. And they're mm-hmm. like, that's one version of your life. There's so many, there's probably a thousand that you could Dude, do. This is so cool. And that's, and that's really like design thinking in general is like, okay, we have a problem before we just assume that the one solution that popped in our head is the right one. Let's mm-hmm. like start mapping out on a board or a piece of paper, 10 different ideas for how we could solve this. Yeah. The 10th one is probably easier and better than the first idea. Sure. And I feel like it's the taking those kinds of principles and using it for like planning your life. And mm. so it's cool stuff. Very cool. The next one, I'm going to 
speed through these others a little bit quicker. Yeah. Life design interviews. So this is where you would, and maybe in the context here, it's a craft interview. You really feel this pull towards this vision of being a photographer and doing that as a career and you have this plan for it. But talk to someone first who's done that. You know, find someone that you can DM or someone that you can talk to at a community event or something. Figure out a way to talk to it. And maybe um, this this leads will really just like understand how did they get there? Um, what is it really like? Not what does it look like on Instagram and YouTube, but what is it really like behind the scenes day to day? What's hard about it? What's wonderful about it? How do they get paid? Um, just, just like trying to really get skip the five years of getting to their place and just find out if it's actually as good as you think. Nice. Um, I think that's a really practical one that's easy to forget about. Um, and then the next one, prototyping. Um, so like maybe what's a smaller version of getting to the place that you want to be without actually having to spend three years getting there to experiment and see like, is this something I really would like? Um, and so that's kind of just the idea of like maybe maybe you shadow that person who's a photographer, you know, sure. like what does it look like to do something like this weekend? A mini version. Exactly. And I think that's a great idea because it's a, it's like sometimes we commit to these huge ideas before we've tried like the smallest idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I feel like that's useful. Um, yeah. Just in a lot of ways thinking through a craft you'd pursue. Um, and then, f- um, Oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, there you go. The four things are li- write a life view and work view, write three odyssey plans for the next five years, do a life design interview with someone who pursues the craft that you want to pursue, and prototype. Don't commit until you've done some smaller versions of whatever it is that you're trying to pursue. Nice. First uh, first odyssey plan, the sacking of Troy. That's the, uh, <laughs> the end goal. In the- <laughs> Couldn't resist it. Uh, Nice. Well, I think it's time for the quote of the day. All right. What I have for us today is from a small little essay called Rationale by John Steinbeck. And he was asked to give his rationale for the corpus of his work. And this is a little excerpt from his response. My basic rationale might be that I like to write. I feel good when I'm doing it better than when I'm not. I find joy in the texture and tone and rhythms of words and sentences. And when these happily combined in a thing that has texture and tone and emotion and design and architecture, there comes a fine feeling, a satisfaction like that which follows good and shared love. If there have been difficulties and failures overcome, these may even add to the satisfaction. And so I thought this was a really wonderful Mm. quote. Because when we come down to it, it's like, what's your craft going to be? Finding your craft? What do you like to do? What do you love to do? Right? And so maybe not your passion, air quotes, like trendy thing, but what's that vision? What's that thing that you sit down and it just, it engrosses you? And I think that's just such a, Steinbeck's a master at just boiling things down to like, when they called him an author one time or, or they mentioned him, he's like, what's an author do? I write. I'm not sure what an author does. Uh, and this is idea of like, man, I write because that's what I do. And I feel this kind of vision capture me in it. So anyway, there, there, there's our quote for, for the week. I mean, that's beautiful because really the idea we're getting after is with a question of passion versus vision is 
is captured there. You know, he says like this thing that I love, it's actually made sweeter through the pain of, of the hardship and the struggle and the failure that makes the the outcome later so much sweeter, just like in a relationship, the fights and the struggles are terrible in the moment, but then you come closer afterwards. It's like mm-hmm. passion might not make it through that necessarily. Ooh, I think that's really I, well, good. Maybe that's, that's not really true. good. I mean, I don't I know. There's something that, there. I think, I think there's something there. At least in the sense of this, this, this light idea of like, follow your passion. Sure. It's like, if maybe if you really truly apply the idea, it's follow your passion through the thick and thin, mm-hmm. you know? And so maybe there really are legs to the idea. I don't, I just don't want to throw that idea out. Sure. But like, if you have a vision for something, then you will go through those storms because you know it's worth it. And I think the idea of follow your passion is committing. I think maybe the problem we were pointing out earlier is just you're committing to something too quickly that you don't necessarily know if it truly is like going to hold you up through those storms. Yeah. And I also like with this quote, it's so simple. I like to write, but at the same time, he buttresses this with the rhythms and tones and emotions and designs and textures and architectures. Like there's all these sort of like, I mean, he knows it so intimately. It's Mm -hmm. so simple, but at the same time, that simplicity is complex. Mm -hmm. No, it's beautiful, man. Thanks for that quote. I think that's all we got today. We're wrapping it right on the hour here. Yeah, this was this is a hefty episode. Please let us know what you think um, at HeyCraftPodcast at gmail.com. Send feedback. Send us you know, what you think about our definition of the craft. Um, if you have any thoughts, push back on that. Or if you just have thoughts on, um, you know, I'd be curious to hear what, what your craft is that you're pursuing and just kind of get a feel for what people are pursuing that are listening. And yeah. Until next time. See you all later. Hey, thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby, where we share what we're learning about the creative process. If you're a writer, music producer, marketer, filmmaker, photographer, or you just love creativity, then this show is for you. Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewelldesign.com. That's Elizabeth, N-E-W-E-L-L, design.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at Elizabeth is a designer. If you like the show, there's three things you can do to help us out. First, subscribe so you learn when we post new episodes. Second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would enjoy the show. Uh, really, word of mouth is going to be the, the number one way we grow the show in any way. And three, if you have a topic you want us to cover or feedback about how we can improve the show or comments on what we've said, you can respond to heycraftpodcast at gmail.com, H-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.